0: I have breaking Death Stranding news, boys. What? Breaking? news. you breaking? News. Um, potentially, I'm about to break Clean Spirit. Yeah,
1: second favorite <laughs> thing. Second favorite thing. What, what's this?
0: <laughs> well, you know, prior to the prior to this recording, we were we were talking about a a little game called Starfield and a particular man by the name of Todd. Um.
2: Grandmaster Howard. Kaczynski. Lord Howard.
1: <laughs> I'm thinking of Todd.
0: First, first of his name. First of his kingdom. Yes. The legendary Todd Howard. Um, said, guess who's Instagram he's on?
2: Don't tell me he's with Hideo.
0: Go on Instagram. Stop it. Third there favorite you. thing. Third favorite <laughs> wait, thing. On to- wait, wait, wait. Go um, on Instagram. Pods
2: or Hideo's.
0: Go, go to Hideo's. Go, go. Yo, this is what you've done to me. I watch this man's Instagram like it's the, a conspiracy the theory. I watch thing, it like the asset calendar.
2: The last thing that I saw on Hideo's Instagram was him playing Starfield. Is there more than that? There's more, isn't there? There there
0: there, there should be a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful black and white photo of, of camaraderie like and and friendship between Kojima and Todd. So what that means on the conspiracy calendar, Todd Howard Is an NPC in Death Stranding too. Or we're getting Death Stranding Refrigerator Edition. One or the other.
1: I'd fucks with Death Stranding Refrigerator Edition. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> Todd Howard is such
2: a baby face too. It's
0: a vampire.
2: Did you he he did an interview, I uh I think it was with Bloomberg, him and Phil Spencer, and they asked him, like, Oh, why didn't you optimize this for PC? And he stood quiet for a second and looked, and he was like, We did. <laughs> you may you he said he said, We did. You may need better hardware for it, but you could play it on PC. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was one of the big things I saw with people complaining they couldn't run it. And then you'd look at their specs, and it was like, buddy, how are you running anything except Doom? <laughs>
2: they're, they're, probably playing, they're probably still playing Fallout Tactics.
1: It's like, I'm, not, I'm uh, not trying to be a classist here, but fuck, man, a potato can only do so much. You
2: remember when RAM was two megabytes? <laughs> to buddy, it's 2023 now.
0: Sixteen's the minimum now, boys. <laughs> I think you could pull standard. it off with the twenty
1: sixty super.
2: I thought twenty I think twenty fifty is the minimum. Twenty fifty or twenty sixty.
1: Yeah, I'd have to say a twenty sixty has to be minimum. I don't know. I could just pull it up right now, but yeah, and then everybody just um disregarded the the SSD requirement.
0: Hi, that's me. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, ten. It says it'll run on a 1070 Ti. I, uh,
0: I begs right. to differ.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it could. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't ran it. Like I'm not Jay's two cents. I haven't done the specs on it. I don't know if it's CPU dependent, RAM. Yeah, you know. I don't know how they optimized it.
0: You know who we need? Linus. <laughs> Linus, where <laughs> are you? No, I think that's the last person
1: anybody needs. I think he's stuck
0: in the cheese room. Oh he's he's working on the infographic for this episode.
1: Yeah.
2: He's gonna God, he, I hate he's that. gonna try to end it, you know. He's gonna be and the what? one. I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna
1: say the word. It's a lot of things I hope he ends.
2: Jesus fucking Christ.
1: What? <laughs> like his company?
2: I know you're t- social media. You're, well, I mean he is a piece of shit. He he should lose. What did you think I meant? I that's what, exactly what I thought you meant. <laughs> I don't I don't oh, I don't God. think I don't think you to be any worse. Villain than, era over here. I don't, I don't think you have any worse than I already think of you now.
0: Well, everybody's gonna think like Linus ran over your dog. <laughs> I don't really don't hate Linus. him that much. I just really
1: dislike people like him. I don't hate the man. I have no I don't get anything if anything bad happens to him. So I really don't care. I don't care about him. But I I don't like him as a person. I think he's a bad person. Linus
2: reminds me of this dude that my wife's best friend used to date. And um well obviously won't say any names, but this guy used to cry on Rocket League and cry how we how we used to take his boost. And he looks and talks just like Linus.
0: That tracks. Yeah. Not trying to drown over here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yo, that's not where I thought the story was gonna go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a real, that was twisty and turny, my man. Every line was like a new punch to the face. I'm trying not to get in trouble here, man.
0: Bro, I'm drowning back here like fucking Spider Man. <laughs> Oh, man. So I have a question for you, boys. Very easy question, but I'm going to read, a, read something out to you. Definition of horror. Painful and intense fear, dread, or dismay. And then the Cambridge Dictionary definition. An extremely strong feeling of fear and shock or the frightening and shocking character of something. So, in ya's worldly experience, what do you guys define as horror?
1: I'd have to go I think the first definition actually is like an overwhelming sense of dread, anxiety, fear, like some weird amalgamation of those three things
2: yeah night i just, uh I feel like it's like just living in a nightmare. You know, like living in your worst nightmares. Nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. Yeah.
0: Ooh, Freddy Krueger's ringing in the background. Okay. All right. So far, so good on the exam, boys. Question number two, and here's the prompt. Definition of science fiction. Fiction dealing with principally with the impact of actual or imagined science on society or individuals or having a scientific factor as an essential or, or rent. Oh my God. I can't even say it. Or renting component Orating component. So what is your guys's definition of science fiction?
2: Extended imagination.
0: I yeah,
1: I'd have to say I would say extended innovation.
2: Ooh, I like that one
1: because it's all based on something, yeah. and then it's just abstracting node information with a little bit of uh of tomfoolery to come up with something cool. And a lot of things that we have is from science fiction, like uh like jets like jets are a thing of science fiction that literally a whole bunch of people from across the world joined a sex cult together to make rockets. And here we are at the time. They weren't even called jets. They were all called rockets. And that those are the only exist because a whole bunch of people got really into science fiction. And then interesting. Yeah. Like a lot of things that we have are based on science fiction and people were like, but what if we made it real?
2: Some of it has,
1: yeah. Look at Star Trek and the phones.
2: Mm.
0: I uh, mm, uh, that I want to say I like both of y'all answers because it, it, it feels like it's a coin. It's just it's the it's it's like right on the nail, but it's just two different sides of the same coin. So I, I really enjoy. But that. isn't
2: that what science fiction is? Ooh.
0: That leads to a good segue into this quote. So there's a quote by Robert A. Helan, and this isn't in back in 1959. And this is about science fiction, realistic speculation about possible future events based solidly on adequate knowledge of the real world past and present. And on a thorough understanding of the nature and significance of the scientific method. Now, the funny thing about that quote, right? It only covers covers a large majority of science fiction, but not all of it. But if you change one word or remove one word in that whole quote, it covers all of it. And all you got to do is take out future. Okay. I'm with you. Now it's for you guys. You've given me your definitions and you've and you told me all these things. So my question to you guys is what's your favorite sci-fi movie? Pitch black. Pitch black. Wonderful movie. Wonderful movie. What about you, Clint? No, I'm
2: not going to say the obvious one because there's cult classics, but I'm torn between Apollo 18 and Cloverfield.
1: Is Cloverfield science fiction? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Yes. One hundred. And there's a whole
2: really? there's a whole lore behind that. Oh my god! I could cover I could cover that. <sighs> Don't even get me started.
0: Oh, you know about the O conspiracy? Everything,
2: the viral marketing, Taguato, everything, manga, everything. I
0: we'll talk. Yeah. will talk later. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Those, those are really good movies. Those are really amazing sci-fi movies, and. Movies like that, media like that wouldn't be made without a gentleman from born in the city of Newark, New Jersey, by the name of John W. Campbell. Of Campbell, excuse me. John W. Campbell. And you know what's his famous quote about science fiction is? What is it? Science fiction is what I say it is. Okay. (laughs) John don't fuck around. John is essentially one of, like, the the forefathers (laughs) of science
1: fiction. It's very, uh, to question the science is to question Dr. Fauci.
2: You know, (laughs) I I, wasn't going to say Dr. Fauci. I was going to say, you know. know, uh, That's
1: a quote from him. That's not
2: me. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fauci's aside, boys. So just to give a little background, right? So John W. Campbell, legendary, legendary sci-fi author. He was a writer. He was an editor. He's really known for these these books that used to come out back in the day in the early 30s, well, late 30s, excuse me, called Astounding Science Fiction. And then it went on to later be known as Analog Science Fiction. In fact, this was considered, he's considered part of the golden age of science fiction. There's like a ton of authors that all worked in that magazine and they branched off. I'm not going to mention them just yet. That'll be after we finish the game we're covering, and there's a reason for that. But something, I believe Brandon said, it's its about how science fiction really affects real life, right? And John W. Campbell has had a long-lasting effect on the world, and we touched on it before we started recording. So we were talking about Danny Masterson, right? And for all of y'all who did not know, just look up that '70s show, and you'll clearly find out.
2: Yeah, he's a—he's
0: uh, in a lot of trouble. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Oof, understatement. What uh, what church he with? What uh, what church was he repping?
1: Oh, the boys. Our man uh, well, Herbert. Her- yeah, that's his name.
0: Uh, <laughs> Herbert Ron L. Hubbard. There you <laughs> go.
1: Same difference, Elrond.
0: Elron. <laughs> El- Elron. Elron. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what if I told you that the one of the most legendary sci-fi authors in the world has a hand in Scientology?
1: Well, I mean, the whole thing was written. Are we? Are you gonna tell us the history of Scientology right now? With, no, God, with Hubbard no, being a sci-fi writer.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. Oh no, no. Because if this is a because no, no, no. I
1: didn't sign up to do a Scientology episode, Surprise, I don't have. Yo. I can pull those notes up if you want me to, but I don't. I don't. I'm not prepared.
0: I got Leo Ramey.
1: <laughs> I just found something interesting too about John
2: W. Campbell, that he that s- someone who reviewed him, uh, P. Scholler-Miller, he first used hard science fiction as a category for John W. Campbell's works. Mm.
0: Hard science fiction. Hard. Hard. Yeah, his, uh, <laughs> like every every writer at that time, he had very questionable views. <laughs> <laughs> so, To wrap up how he has affected, how he's brought science fiction into the real world, him and L. Ron were real close and they worked real, real close together. He's part co-creator of Dianetics. He helped Ron help create that therapy. And it was to the extent of he would even promote it in his magazine. He would write article. He would let Ron L. Hubbard write articles in Astounding but they did have a falling out. At some point they fell out because John felt like what they originally envisioned. Ron was moving away from that.
1: I was going to say, cause Scientology happened twice. Cause he wrote two books. Well, he wrote a lot of books, but <laughs> he had two like source books for that religion, I guess. So many of my
2: favorite actors are in there. Things after
0: 1952. But yo, you gotta remember Clean. Oh, I'm, I'm not that well versed. Oh. No, but yeah, because that's when they broke up. That's when him and l Ron, they uh what's the word? They split acrimoniously is <laughs> the word.
2: Mm. They broke up the bromance, is what you're saying.
0: Bromance. Yeah, it ended, it ended sour. Ooh. That's good tea. Hit last little piece of history, boys. Do you boys know that you guys have read proto-science fiction?
2: Give me examples. that Halo.
0: A Thousand and One Nights. A Thousand and One Nights is one of the earliest stories or books that contain science fiction. There's one called um, Abdullah and the Merman. Where he got the the kid gains the ability to breathe underwater and he discovers an underwater like submarine society. And it's just an inverted like reflection on society on land and whatnot. Next one, the ebony horse, a robot in the form of a flying mechanical horse and a whole bunch of keys and buttons. It can fly into outer space and towards the sun. And then lastly, the city of brass. So this one is a group of travelers. They're doing an archaeology expedition through the Sahara. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to find the brass um like lamp or jar that King Solomon used to trap the genie that was terrorizing the land. And it kind of falls into science fiction because they encountered a mummified queen, um stone people, and lifelike humanoid robots and seductive marionettes. without strings so clearly there's been science fiction since the earlier early earlier earlier times and then lastly the epic of Gilgamesh is another one the first superhero story but it's debated it gets disqualified because there's not a lot of science going on in the book they consider it more fantasy but if you think about the time and whatnot, that was their science. But yeah, essentially, one of the big themes in Gilgamesh is him going on the journey or the looking for immortality. Bunch of sci-fi stories just built on that quest and that journey.
2: I like that you say that it was disqualified because that it tr- that is interesting because you did say that during that time their science fiction was, you know, w- what they had. You know, they didn't they didn't yeah. have any. Any sign they didn't know what cars and what we have today are. So I find it very interesting that during that time and that people would disqualify it and call it fantasy when that's what they were working with. You know what does disqualify what 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 are the the qualifications? You know what I mean? That's what I'm trying to get at.
0: Right, I, I, right, because every era is different. Literally, what, 10 years ago? What we had is completely different. Oh, yeah. All right, boys. Now we're getting to it. I I know it has been a slow burn. We're getting to it. Who in class is familiar with the origins of sci-fi horror?
1: That one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that. (laughs) Because I see here. I mean, I don't know because the first thing that comes to mind is alien. Me too. But alien. I feel Same like here. I feel like it was done before alien and I just can't When was the thing? Oh no, we can go further back to the 50s. Yeah, we can go back cuz what about the fly? The
2: fly. The fly.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we can go blob. all the way to the 50s at least. The blob. So yeah, this is going to go a, a way way back. Okay. When it comes to you said movie, right? Just make sure I'm on the thing.
0: No, no, there weren't much. There weren't. Oh, sci-fi
1: horror in general. There weren't
0: much. What the origins of sci-fi horror? So
1: that I can actually go further back to the 1800s, and I can go all the way to the story of Frankenstein,
0: Mm, Frankenstein's
1: monster. That would be.
0: That's where I'm gonna stop you. (laughs) (laughs) so glad you He said just that. put a
2: halt to that he was just like wait a minute <laughs> hang on
0: <laughs> i'm like this google fool mother
1: <laughs> no so it just so happens i was uh i was watching a little documentary on the story of how the frankenstein uh book because i forget the name but the actual book of it but how that came to be and it started basically as a whole bunch of nerds drinking wine having like a competitive creative writing party
2: well the story is completely different originally than it is what we know it today what people commercially know it as it's a whole different story that that it was
1: yeah that's i was watching the uh, the like the og one and like they had a like and then it was released twice and it was a whole thing but
0: I love that. I love it. So, boys, it's so funny you say that. So, exactly. 1818. More 1816, but we're going to go with 1818, right? So, Frankenstein.
2: Yeah. bitch.
0: You nailed it. It's considered (laughs) a Prometheus moment. And everybody knows the, the story of Prometheus. That's when he defied the gods and he gave humanity fire. And what did fire give us? Technology, knowledge, and made us more civilized. Frankenstein is that Prometheus moment. And we'll talk about that same dinner party.
1: Yes, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so proud of myself right now. It's been so long since I got something
0: right. (laughs) Nailed it, bro. I'm like cheesing over here. This is good. Mary Shelley is considered the godmother or the mother of science fiction. She has been, she literally wrote probably science fiction for a majority of her career. So just a little background, Shelley is the daughter of a famous author. Because her dad was a big time author, he actually gave a damn about her education. And this is, so uh, that doesn't happen normally around that time. So because of that, she was surrounded by her father's friends, she was surrounded by writers, she was surrounded by people in politics, and they always gathered at her home. They actually inspired her to be an uh, an author. Well, sometime later, she met one of her dad's homeboys. They did a thing, kind of fell in love. And her dad was like, I don't approve of this. This is not what I want for you. So she did what any respectable woman does. Run off to another country with her lover and takes her stepsister with her. Um, allegedly, he banged her stepsister as well. So keep that in mind. And well, as they were living, right? so <laughs> a little spicy in Mary <laughs> Shelley's life. Is is that Big Brother status, though? Yeah, you grow up, writers, you start banging your dad's friend, then you run off, he bangs your sister. It, it's wild.
2: It's like a slapstick comedy in the early 2000s.
1: Or any Hallmark movie.
0: I was going to be like Lifetime.
1: Yeah, probably Lifetime. I'm going to give a yeah. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I retract my statement.
0: Well... They ran off into the world. They, I believe they were living in Paris at the time. Well, they did a lot of traveling. They did a lot of riding. And in the summer of 1816, Mary, her, step, her stepsister, Claire, and then her boyfriend, Percy, they went to go see Claire's lover in Geneva. And boys, his name was Lord Byron. So they were having a good time. They was chilling up in his mansion. And he was like, hey, we should play a game. Like Brandon said, it was a late night. They, they were trying to write the best ghost stories. And after they got finished writing, Lord Byron proceeded to put the smackdown on Mary Shelley, allegedly. Um, oh, wow. And that's how Frankenstein was born. So, yeah, there you go.
2: Yep. It's always a good story when such good stories
1: are made. Yeah, then she went to people, like, people pressured her to finish, like, writing it, like, actually flush it, it out. Good. So she did. She released it under a pseudonym. And then two to three years later, she, or wait, no, like, eight years later, she released it under her actual name with a few changes and updates.
2: Why did she use a, a pseudonym?
1: I can't She's remember. A woman, I, man. Yeah, that was part of it, and then some. Oh, yeah, because it, because of the horror aspect of it, she she didn't want people knowing it was a woman because they didn't want she didn't want people like thinking of her in a negative light. It wasn't so much it was because oh she was a woman so she had to hide it. Yeah. It was more so she a you know, respectable. It's not a woman written by a respect or a thing written by a respectable woman, as I recall. It's Interesting, but I could be off. I
2: did not. I did not. Uh, know it went to that. Very interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, now, fun. Fact, yeah, and then like one of the main
1: changes was uh, like she made it so like what uh, like the main couple of Frankenstein because the whole story of Frankenstein is being told as another story like another person telling the story and then the guys writing down the story and uh, like the main change was the love interest was no longer the main dude's cousin. So they removed well, that's the not incest. A bad change. <laughs> so anyway, what?
0: No, what no, man. Say? No. That, she she actually she wrote two more sci-fi bangers that a lot of people don't know about. Oh, send them. Do tell. So the first one, The Last Man, was published in 1826. Oh. So mm-hmm it's funny so this one takes place in europe in the 21st century and essentially the world is being ravaged by the bubonic plague and it, it normally results in the near extinction of man is and then there's a second one oh go for it clean i'm sorry i'm
2: so sorry is this does this have anything to do or did this lead into the comic book? Why The Last Man? Because it's the exact same premise. It just takes place in I New, did... New York.
0: Bring that to the next episode.
2: <laughs> I, I will. I will. Because I, I just finished that comic book, so uh, it's fresh in my head. So perfect
0: yeah bring that yeah I, I I haven't seen that that string but I have a suspicious feeling it goes somewhere and the last one the last last one is a short story and she wrote it about a man who got frozen and was thawed out in the 1800s and he was relived he was living life in this modern era isn't that hilarious can you imagine being frozen and in the 1800s that's the future to you
1: it's fucked up. It's fucked up. I'd be some I'd be mad as hell.
0: What a time. Now, when it comes to sci-fi horror boys, it's all about a visceral experience, right? It's when it uses objects and elements of current science. And it it keep in that feeling of keeping grounded, it makes it more real, doesn't it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it adds a sense of, like, plausibility.
2: It uh, emerges, it immerses yourself into
0: the character. Yeah. yeah. No, oh, and that's beautiful, boys, because that's what leads us into visceral games. For It was a slow build-up, but yeah, we are officially covering a 2008 banger by the name of Dead Space.
1: Dead
2: Space, Dead Space. The winner. Of the You, Me, and Lore voting poll.
0: Dun, 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 dun. Good job. We appreciate the votes, guys. We really thought Stray was going to get it. <laughs> and I'm kind of happy Stray didn't
1: get it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Bully was going to take it at the last minute. I, I thought it was going to be a photo finish.
2: It was, it was very close, but, hey, that doesn't mean it's out for contention. You will. Mm-hmm. It'll return. Yeah, you will, you will eventually get Bully and or Stray. But right now, it's coming. We're doing Dead Space. And I'm actually super excited to do this. Like, really excited because I'm diving in fresh.
0: Yeah, you, man, you've picked a wonderful time. A wonderful, wonder, wonderful time. And for everybody at home, just to paint a picture, I'm going to give you the official description of Dead Space. So, Dead Space is a third-person survival horror video game developed by EA Redwood Shores, released for the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and Microsoft Windows. I ain't talking 10 or 11, and this was on October 14th of
2: 2008.
0: Oof. Now, right? <laughs> The player takes on the role of an engineer named Isaac Clark, who battles the polymorphic undead species called the Necromorphs on board a stricken interstellar mining ship named the USG Ishimura. And then fun fact, Ishimura translates to rock village. Now before we talk more about the game boys, we are going to talk about the studio now little confusing. I just said Visceral Games and then I just mentioned EA Redwood Shores. What does that mean? A merger? A, si- a merger. Bio? No, not a... Neither. Subsidiar? That doesn't come till later.
2: That was my next one. Oh. It Subsidiar it was my next one.
0: It was a rebrand. Oh! It was a rebrand, but we're gonna get there. We'll explain the rebrand. But we got to go back to 1999, boys. 1999, this little studio by the name of EA Redwood Shores produces a game for PlayStation, PC, and then the one of the greatest consoles of all time, Macintosh. A little game called Future Cop LAPD. Have you boys ever played or heard of it? Oh my god, yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> There was a demo. There was a PlayStation demo. (laughs) But just to give you guys a little picture, Future Cop LAPD, essentially you played in a cop mech that could transform into a vehicle, but could also stand on its hind legs and shoot machine guns and missiles and whatnot. It was a really nifty game for 1999. An
2: interesting time.
0: And it was the studio's. Ooh, before, will, this, will the system survive Y2K?
1: <laughs> it did. For those who didn't find out.
0: No, it's the new simulation.
2: <laughs> yeah, they, they rebooted the system. Stop it.
0: Don't lie to these kids. They know. But, yo, that was their first hit. Future Cop LAPD. And after this game, the studio would actually turn into EA's licensing studio. Are you guys familiar with a little game called PGA Tour? I've
2: the, heard of the it. The original one.
0: I've heard of it. They developed the original. So the original game wasn't PGA Tour. The original game was called Cyber Tiger.
2: Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Because I, 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 uh-huh. I play PGA Tour now, and it's a fantastic game. And I remember cyber tiger.
0: Remember cyber tiger. And, that and was the original. Golfing. Yo. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That game
2: came out what year? And he's still golfing 2000. Yeah, and he's still around. It's we're, we're almost into 24 and the dude car crash scandals and everything. And the dude is still golfing. It's insane. <laughs>
0: He outlived the studio that made him famous. <laughs> but so they given us that classic that everybody knows and love um, licensing studio. Are you guys familiar with a gentleman by the name of Peter Jackson? Of course. Yep. Yeah. Are y'all familiar with one of the greatest PlayStation 2 titles the world has ever seen?
1: I'm, yeah, I'm you're so gonna narrow that one down
0: lord of the ring the two towers
1: oh yeah yeah that was that was such a good fucking game
0: that was a that
1: was, was a them. good
0: movie too it was a good book it's a great movie and oh oh chills and they also gave us lord of the rings return of the king where we saw like the first implementation of like game engine uh, cinematics into film, and then from film back into game cinematics into gameplay. And they took it a, another step, and they gave us the Lord of the Rings RPG, The Third Age. They also gave us The Godfather, and The Godfather 2, also the and there's a reason we're mentioning them. The reason we mention Godfather is the engine that was used to make the prototype for dead space was the godfather graphics engine oh shit all right interesting Mm -hmm. and then from there dead space comes out that ended up being their surprise hit and that actually led to the studio being rebranded as a from a licensing studio to a genre studio And then we got Visceral Games, we got Visceral Games Melbourne, and then we got Visceral Games Montreal from the success, right? They also helped the development of the Sims games with Maxis, especially a lot of the Sims handheld games. That was uh, Visceral. Freakstyle Motocross. You guys remember that game? Which game? Freakstyle Motocross. No. No. Mm, it, it was a motocross game, so that was a niche audience. But that was one of their big hits. And then to round it all up, James Bond from Russia with Love, Agent Under Fire, Army of Two, Devil's Cartel, Dante's yep. Inferno. Devil's and Cartel was so there good. were... It was. Mm. And they actually had an unannounced game called The Ripper. That we'll never know. And lastly one thing i've learned about visceral at the time from like the early from the end of the 90s to the early 2000s yo the studio was pumping out three games a year god damn they would pump out titles out the yin yang like around the time of just for like cyber tiger they did cyber tiger they did um a nascar rumble game they did a road rash at the same year like EA Redwood Shores, like they used to crank out games. And toward the end of their lifespan, the last, last project they were known for was project ragtag. And if you guys remember project ragtag,
1: that's the one that that's the star
0: Wars game that everybody wanted that nobody will ever get. The one that got away. And it's a it's a small little, you know, it's a small little breakdown of the studio, but the studio has kind of been engraved in our childhood for years. And I didn't know that they were always the EA studio. I just thought they were this small developer out of nowhere. So that was kind of like crazy to find out.
2: My god, if we do another EA so, game, we're gonna get affiliated.
0: <laughs> oh, we get oh, we get empire money. Let's go. Let's go. Now, a little bit about the studio that's covered. Now we can finally get into dead space. So when it comes to dead space, y'all, it took horror and threw it on its like on its head. This game innovated survival horror at a time when cover shooters reigned supreme. Y'all where yeah, I know we're with like the like the top heavy cover shooters? Two thousand eight off the top of yeah. your head.
1: Yeah. Uh, Gears of War. Easy. Easy. Yeah, I was That's that was gonna, gonna be my answer.
0: first.
2: Yeah, that was gonna be my first answer too.
0: And then the other two very easy at the time in 08. <laughs> very easy too.
1: I can't think of it at the time. What about you, Clean? Wait, you're saying
2: you're saying Gears of War. I can't even think about it right now, and I know I've I, I know I've played that probably every single game in that genre too, and I can't even think about it.
0: Oh, the all-time multiplayer favorites. Call of Duty and Battlefield.
2: There you go. I was I wasn't <laughs> even going like with the cliche answer. I was thinking more like uh like Medal of Honor or something, you know?
0: No, it's two thousand and eight, man. This is this was their prime and mind you. The, the three we just named, that's nothing compared to all the games that released that year. Nothing compared. We need to go back, boys. We need to go back. So, essentially, the game, just for everybody to know, is produced by Glenn uh, Schofield, Chuck Beaver, Steve, uh, I'm a butcher his last name, Steve, uh, Papatouas, Paul Mathis is the designer Programmer is Steve Timpson Artist is Ian Milham Writers This is important so the writers are Warren Ellis Rick Remander and Anthony Johnston and if Warren Ellis Sounds familiar he was The gentleman who wrote The awesome Netflix Show Castlevania The new one the newer one Yeah the one on Netflix he wrote it The guy who wrote the script for Dead Space is the guy Who did Castlevania that's cool. Look at that game.
2: That's really cool.
1: I wouldn't have I wouldn't have guessed that in a hundred years. Right.
0: Oh, and last but not least, composer is Jason Graves. It's said that he gave um the soundtrack credit to another person, I believe, by the name of Don Um Avica. But it's no it said Jason Graves produced all the music in the game, composed and produced it all by himself. And a little fun fact when they were looking for the composer for the game, like midway through development, he submitted a demo that was based off The Shining and got the job.
2: Oh wow. And and where was his career at when that happened? Are you
0: you aware of that? So Jason's career in video games it starts back in 2003 he did The Hobbit another one you guys might know 2006 he did Star Trek let's see 2000 another 2006 he did a uh, blazing Angels squadron of World War II
2: so he has a decent resume and and up until oh, that yeah, his man. resume was Form, formidable enough to for people to know who he was, and for him to get the job.
0: Yes, if that's you cool. about if you love Fear Three, he did the soundtrack. If you love oh, Far damn. Cry Primal, he did the soundtrack. He did the soundtrack for Until Dawn, another awesome horror game. Oh, he does. He literally does the soundtrack for all the dark pictures.
2: So that's his style.
0: Oh, Brandon, sit down. He does the soundtrack for Warframe. Oh, get the fuck out. Bro, I'm not I can't. I'm all the way out there, baby. He does four frames as well.
2: That's pretty cool. Other than like, you know. I mean, so so he is particularly and preferably known as a video game music composer.
0: Mm-hmm. That's really cool. So there's a lot of rich history in in the development of Dead Space. And Dead Space Boys is well, Dead Space essentially was going to be a unofficial sequel to System Shock so when Glenn yeah. and Chuck were thinking about the game they were trying to pitch it as System Shock 3
1: I could see that to be honest That's with you
0: dude it was a widely popular game and it it got sci-fi hard like perfectly at the time but there was a little wrench in the plan, right? They wanted to do a system shot game, but number one, they weren't the original team. And number two, how, how would, how could they elevate the game? Cause that's the biggest thing, right? If you're going to make some kind of spiritual successor to a game, how do you take what was done and elevate it? But something beautiful happened in 2004 boys, something that would change the, course of sci-fi horror history. And it all took place in a little island called Japan. 2004, a very special game dropped that completely changed survival horror. It was the first horror game to give you over the shoulder aiming boys. Do you know what that game was?
2: Give me a hint. The
0: original horror game that we all played.
2: Resident Evil. No. Oh,
0: yep. Resident Evil 4 came out in 2004.
1: Oh, damn.
0: Wow. Yup. You feel old yet? <laughs> God damn. Okay. And a little quick bio y'all. Resident Evil 4 follows the story of Leon Kennedy on a mission to rescue The president's daughter in a remote village somewhere in a Spanish country and things are not what they seem, but it changed horror, zombie horror, survival horror on his head. You could finally aim over your shoulder. It added like an action dynamic to the game. The game was still scary, but it was more fast paced. It wasn't that old school stop, slow aim. It was on. it, It was pretty much go, go, go. It was go-go horror is the best way to put it. And that blew Glenn and Chuck. It blew their mind. They went from like, we want to make System Shock 3 to like, how do we make Resident Evil 4 in space? And how do we make it scarier? So Dead Space is pretty much a Resident Evil 4 clone. So imitation is the best form of flattery, boys.
2: It is interesting, you know the different influences that come from these genres, and where they and where and where they take in it. it it's um, it, what the artists do, and it, there's even a chance that even maybe some of those developers even came and worked for that space. Probably, you know, with the with their experience of Resident Evil and other games. So it, it could be it could be a long shot, but it could be a shot that it's possible,
0: right? So. So they held on to the idea, right? So in 2006, they finally get the chance. EA is like, hey, y'all can make a game? And they're like, we want to make we want to make this game in space. And they're like, uh, EA was like, how, how do we know we want to do this? Resident Evil 4 made tons of money. Do you want to make tons of money? And EA was like, get us a prototype in a couple days and we'll think about it.
2: In a couple days? So-
0: Yes. So it was pitched in 2006. They were given three months to create a prototype. So Dead Space, the Dead Space prototype is made on the original Xbox hardware. So essentially we could have been playing Dead Space even earlier. Wow. But yeah, three months. They three months on the original Xbox hardware with the Godfather engine.
1: This is some tomfoolery.
0: It there's some there's some Shania Twang up in this piece. There's a lot. There's a lot going on with uh Visceral.
2: They have a whole lore themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. They're, yo, so alright, so development, right? So after they get the prototype off the ground, everything kicks off. They they made changes to the game that truly changed it, right? So for instance, the, the Ishimura, the playground that you play with in the game, if you, and Clean, you don't know this yet, but Brandon, you'll totally understand it. If you realize it, the team ended up using the Ishimura, the Ishimura is pretty much the mansion in Resident Evil. If you look at like the dark corners, the way that the ship is ransacked and it's, it's grim and gothic it's based off the idea of like running through the mansion in resident evil.
2: Oh hell no.
0: It's inspiring, man. It's it's beautiful. You take the original PlayStation 1 and you build it out so much to so you're you're creating horror in a different sense, right? Because essentially when you take the role of Isaac, you're in third person. Each section of the of the game is it's level based, right? It's a little bit linear, but it's still there's still a little it's still a little open. And each section, you're completing puzzles, you're completing story missions, and then you know there's you know little side quests, there's little Easter eggs, and then the fear that the game creates isn't essentially just the necromorphs. It's essentially the environment itself, because there's sections of the game where you only have a certain amount of oxygen, or there's no gravity in the room. Or I need to swing to one side of the room to avoid a necromorph that's flying from the ceiling. Like, it builds tension up in so many different ways. And then another thing is exploring the Ishimura, right? You can find ammunition. You can find these little nodes that you can either use them to improve your gun, or you can use them to open doors, open certain sections of ships for special items. And it's cool because there's another specific mechanics where Isaac can hit. He can hit it to knock out weaker enemies. He can hit it to stun bigger enemies. And he can even stomp to open cases as well as kill some of the smaller, minor enemies that are very, very annoying, but they hit real hard. And then another innovation you think about the game, they were the first ones to incorporate a HUD list experience in horror.
2: Because when Ooh. the game
0: released in two thousand eight, yeah,
2: that is, that that was big. no HUD
0: for health, right? You you could think of the division that was the division's biggest thing that it was going to be this HUDless experience, but they didn't away with dead space. If you want to see Isaac's health, it's on his back. If you want to see how much ammo you have, it's a little ammo counter on your gun. You want to see how much stasis energy you have? It's it's on your back, and they. They did that, and the main reason they did that was they wanted everybody to immerse themselves in the map, in the game, to really build up the horror.
2: I like that. I like that a lot. I didn't even realize how, how like, during that time that they... I mean, holy shit, how convenient. that That is very convenient for guys like us who, you know... Who do, who don't want to look at the damn hood? Who don't want to look at how many bullets we have? How, you know, our health. We just look at our body and it tells us everything to us. God, that's so
0: cool. It really makes you feel like you're Isaac, right? Like you're reacting as if like, it's you running around. And then next character design. Isaac is a silent protagonist in a survival horror game. And the reason why for that, the team based Isaac's approach in the original game to be that of Gordon Freeman from Half-Life. So they essentially wanted to have Isaac Clark talk by the way he moved, by the way he reacted and how he fought on the ship. So it's, it's based off of um, Gordon Freeman and Electronic Arts originally wanted a famous actor. But that got vetoed and another, <laughs> you know, it's another thing that kind of it got vetoed, but didn't stay. They Money. actually wanted to set the game on a. Ah, it's funny you mentioned that we're going to we're going to talk about that. They wanted to set the game on a prison planet.
2: Oh My God.
0: Any of this sound familiar?
2: It rings a bell, but that's it.
0: What about you, Brandon?
1: No, I'm gonna take a back seat.
0: I here, don't know buddy. why
2: I feel like 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 Wesley Snipes or Sylvester Stallone were in some kind of like space Joe movie or something back in the 80s. I don't know <laughs> why I feel like that. Carl
1: Urban.
0: Carl Urban. It, it's yeah, yeah, close. It has my man from Justified in it. What's the plot to Calypso Protocol?
2: Don't ask me. (laughs) Don't ask me. I couldn't tell you. Uh,
0: All the leftover ideas of Dead Space is... Well, the original idea for Dead Space is pretty much Calypso Protocol.
1: Oh, man. Are we going to get into that?
0: (laughs) No, not not anytime soon. But at some point. If the people (laughs) want it. (laughs) The next innovation, and this is probably the biggest innovation in the game. And this is what the development team coined it. Tactical dismemberment. Oh. Dead Space is the first game where headshots are bad. Literally a headshot in Dead Space is the last thing you want to do. The game is incentivized for you to dismember the enemies. And you have to give it up to the team when they develop the enemy AI even though each section of the game is a level, the the code or the script in the game has it set where you're not going to know when the, the necromorphs are going to come out and attack you. So just because you went through a section and made it through and you died and you think, oh, I know where everybody is, the game purposely makes it where that run that you just survived, if you have to do it again, the necromorphs will not come out of the same spots.
2: Generative, I like that.
0: Hmm. and if you dismember them depending on what body part you dismember it changes their whole combat stance as well so very very clearly ahead of its time
2: that's 2008
0: 2008 well in this case 2006 2007 when they were developing yeah 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 interesting and then in terms to music and audio when it comes to a lot of the audio um, for the game, a lot of it essentially, they took a lot of human noises, like baby noises, adult noises. They would try to lower it to the, like, the lowest volume possible and then merge it with like, an animal sound. There's a particular enemy in the game I don't want to mention yet that I'm really excited to talk about just because of like I didn't think they would put that in a game where they took that, <laughs> that enemy and they put it with like a panther growl. To make them sound more vicious. Um, they actually went into they went into cities to record uh subway noises, people noises. Um, the guy composing, he made sure that when he made the music for the game, it wasn't like music for combat, music for boss fights. He tried to put himself, Jason Gray's put himself in the view of Isaac where the 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 sound and the music in the game is more environment it's more like hey how far do you see the necromorphs like are you walking down a dark tunnel like do you feel that same sense of dread that isaac is feeling as he's fighting his way through the ishimura and this it's funny they actually there was a bit of a fight between the sound team and the music team for how much space was available. And it actually ended up leading them to make specialty tools. So what they did was they created custom software tools. One tool was dubbed Fear Emitters. And what it did was it controlled the volume of music and the sound effects based on the distance from a like a key event in the game or some type of necromorph attack. Another tool was Creepy Ambi Patch." It was a multi-track organizer of different layers of random of randomized internal sounds to make a big old, like dreadful sound for Isaac to hear while he's walking through the ship. And then there's another one called Dead Script. It's a scripting language they developed as a replacement for for a sound language that was used in spore. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of jumping around, but essentially this game really led EA to innovate a lot of their tools. And I say all of this to bring us to one thing. What was the success of the game? The game was oddly successful. Surprisingly, the game wasn't a like home, like home run out of the park. After a couple like months, the game does go on to sell like a couple million units. Uh, the marketing for the game was amazing. They built out comics. They dropped the film right after the game came out. But the film is now non-canon, and we'll talk about that later.
2: Is it really?
0: Yes. There's a lot of things that happened with dead space cuz the some of the books are non canon anymore.
2: Interesting. I cuz I had hmm. yeah cuz I I had a conversation with someone that they they were questioning it themselves but they couldn't confirm or deny so that's that's good to know. That's good information to know.
0: Mhm. Yeah, so and just the downfall the animated movie no longer canon. Uh the first two books are no longer canon as well the comic books i believe are still canon but it should be those main those main things but we'll we'll talk about it when we get to those entries but yeah y'all yeah. just in terms of the score 88 86 b+ 7 out of 10 88 9 out of 10 8.7 this, so the game was moderately successful and then it went on to actually get a cult following and then you actually find out later on um, Dead Space 2 and 3, not successful. Mm. They sold well, but in EA's eyes, they were not successful games. And by Dead Space 3, it, it was kind of over and done, especially that's when management was pushing for multiplayer for a broader audience.
2: Yeah, During that time, multiplayer was hot. I mean, even what year was this? Oh wait, wasn't yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. You know, yeah. by then for Dead Space three, oh, I believe it was like uh, twenty ten, twenty or even oh, yeah. twenty fourteen
2: Yep, it adds up. Yeah. It adds up because that's when multiplayer. Yeah. Was. I mean, even Killzone. If you guys remember Killzone, Killzone,
0: uh, Ooh, you know
2: they, you, that's a game to cover. You know they they started doing. They were I I in my experience one of the first games that went multiplayer too during that time, and whew. You know, it was a big market, man. It was a really big market. We started getting all these new consoles that could connect to the internet. No one was using dial up anymore. DSL, everyone had a shark fin DSL
0: ro- router. It's a wild time. Ah, uh, the golden age. Oof. But we're almost done, boys. Time for the part everybody's been waiting for the lore. So, just to paint a picture of Earth at this time earth has run out of resources shocker in science fiction that never happens (laughs) essentially that led to what was known in the 23rd century as the resource wars different sections of earth went on to fight and for whatever little bit of oil water gold they fought for every little piece of minerals So eventually they broke off and were able to colonize space, but that did nothing because mankind has an insatiable thirst for resources. So that led to another resource war, but this time intergalactic war, but boys that all changed thanks to a beautiful, beautiful corporation by the name of concordance extraction corporation. And they did something no one has ever seen. They built what would be known as a planet cracker class ship. The ship in question would be the USG Ishimura. Ishimura is the first planet cracker in the world. And what they would do is they would send these giant ships to crack asteroids desolate planets for any and every kind of resource to quell this hunger it was commissioned back in 2445 and it's actually hailed this ship is hailed the savior of earth but by the end of this story the irony oh the irony (laughs) and that brings us to Isaac for you see About six months ago, Isaac had a beautiful girlfriend by the name of Nicole. The Ishimura is actually on its last mission before being decommissioned. At the request of Isaac, more like the pushing of Isaac, because it's a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, Nicole joins the crew of the Ishimura for their final mission. And... Things go dark. It's been about six months. Isaac gets a message from Nicole. An odd message. I'm not going to repeat what she says just yet. But it's enough to galvanize him to join the search and rescue mission to the Ishimura. And that's where we pick up on our next episode.
2: Mm. Strong start. A strong finish
0: it was a slow burn and i appreciate your guys' patience
2: i would have never thought that we would that you would have had some kind of scientology intro for dead space
0: yeah i wasn't prepared um but it works though because we gotta talk about Scient not scientology but there's a religion in dead space we gotta talk about
1: mormonism
0: you got me surprised, y'all. It's the Book of Mormon.
1: <laughs> Banana, bananaism. It's always the Book of Mormon.
0: Those alchemists knew a thing or two. But y'all, what do y'all think? How y'all feel about going into that space? Do y'all feel a little bit more knowledgeable. I'm excited. I'm ready to
2: shit my pants.
1: I'm ready to shit in his pants too.
2: See, as long as you oh don't get it God. as long as you don't get it on the side <laughs> lip this time, we're good. Yeah, that was my bad. I'm glad you could oblige.
0: Oh, you you kids. You kids and your crazy trends, but so we got boys. Anything you want to tell the nice people?
2: Give space to the dead.
0: Ooh. Brandon, you got anything nice you want to tell the kids?
1: I have no words of wisdom.
0: You
2: are wisdom. That's why.
0: Oh there there's actually Shakespeare's going to leave us on some wisdom. Oh. It's not going to make sense now and it probably going to make sense by the end of the game. But that's going to fall on the viewers. Do not swear by the moon for she changes constantly, then your love would also change. Shakespeare. Do
1: you think Shakespeare is one person or a whole bunch of people?
0: I think he may have gotten a little bit more credit than he he probably deserves. I think there was there's a collaborative effort somewhere in there, at least in the beginning, in the beginning.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, cool, man. I'm ready for it. It's gonna be a good game. I've actually never played any of the Dead Spaces. So I'm completely blind. I know what happens in the third one because it was hard not to if you were a gamer in that era. But it's kind of like people who like may have never played Mass Effect, but they know how it ends. Yeah. It's one of those. So. I I also. Yeah. I'm excited to see how we get there and the push for multiplayer. Yeah. I'd
2: also like to add
1: too that. This
2: game is is all three games are on Game Pass. You know, you could download these games today. Mm -hmm. You could play. You could let us know if you're playing with with us and go along with us while it's on. But if you have if you got 10 bucks to spare and you're on PC or you're on the console, get yourself the game pass. Uh, No, this is not an affiliation. This is a, a suggestion for you guys to play Dead Space if you haven't played it before.
0: Uh, If I could make a recommendation, if you haven't played Dead Space, if you want more of a narrative experience, the newer one is going to be best, especially because they actually flesh out Isaac. Mm. If you want to play the traditional version, and I can tell you, after 15 years, the original version still holds up. I, I I can guarantee you that it still holds up. But I like that. Give us your dead space experience. But all right, boys, we're done. We're going home. We're getting off this rock. Gotta get off this
1: goddamn rock.
0: I'm trying all to right. think of the movie.
1: Um, what the f- the rock? Was it the rock? Was it the wasn't it the rock? Was it the rock? Movie? We'll find we'll about that. Find jail? out the
0: next episode. We'll... Yep. It was the, it was the jail one with Sean Connery. Yeah. All right, Peter, the guy. Adios. All right. Later, y'all. Peace. Hey, thank you for listening, everyone. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Uh, to stay up to date on all things lore. Also, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to leave feedback and make suggestions on what series to do next. You Mean Lore is an original podcast written and produced by Brandon Wayner and Kenny Gomez. We do not own the rights to any of the artistry. All rights are owned by their respective companies. Sound and editing by Kenny Gomez and Brandon Wayner. Intro composed and played by Achilles Amistat. Transitions and outro composed and played by Sam Gibbs. Both can be found on Fiverr.com. For inquiries, information, and feedback, please visit you me and Laura on Facebook or email us directly at youmealore@gmail. at gmail. Bye-bye.